0: Welcome to REI Closers, uh, Real Estate Investing Closers, episode three, actually. So I had me on the first, I got my brother on the second, and going big on the third. A uh, lot of things to unpack here. I got Nolan. So we met on social media probably like two, three months ago. Um, he's, a little bit longer than that. Yeah. Ballpark it. Yeah. Something like that. feels like time flies. I don't feel like it was that long ago. But um i i've been wanting to pick your brain forever just trying to see everything you're doing because you started out you know a single family and we'll get more into this but had a huge portfolio of single family real estate um now pretty much all commercial real estate expert and infinite banking concept getting policies set up with that to maximize returns you know pay pretty much nothing in taxes um, a lot of questions that this is going to go everywhere but I just wanted to introduce you, what well, you got, 50,000 followers on social media um, and there, you keep it rolling like that. Yeah. 40,000 <laughs> 40, or so on TikTok. Um, so I guess, who who are you? How'd you get started? So I know the thing that was funny too, I, I'm a huge baseball guy. I know you played baseball at Arkansas. Um, so I guess from there, how'd you get into real estate and then, you know, where you are now?
1: Well, again, yeah, thanks for having me, Ben, of course. Um, I think when I first got into real estate, before I was just a baseball junkie. I was a, I played, you know, college baseball at Arkansas for a couple of years. I got drafted by the Oakland A's in 2012, uh, traded to the Chicago White Sox in 15, released by them in 17, and then uh, played one more season in the minor leagues for the Washington Nationals. All the while, though, in 2015, I read the book, maybe similar to you, Rich Dad Poor Dad, by Robert Kiyosaki. It's like everyone's like second Bible. And uh read that book and I was like, whoa, this is like, you know, my parents, you know, I, I never learned about this stuff. So I read that book. Um, after the off season ended, I basically just went and bought all of my dad's friends breakfast and lunch and dinner and beers and coffee and everything I could to like learn what this was. And so being an athlete, you know, you have kind of that more like you know, just driven personality. And uh, so I was like, I'm just this makes sense, let's just go for it. So I guess what I started doing is I I met with my dad's buddies. I I was like I got to figure this out. I got to learn how to do this. And so I I was introduced to a friend his name is Nick Pay up in uh, Kokomo, Indiana where I'm from. He's an insurance guy, but he introduced me to real estate. I bought my first couple of houses from a guy named Scott Perkins. He I probably wouldn't do that deal the same way I did. Uh I would know I would now, but bought for, you know, two family house, two single family houses. You know, I went to the bank and because I was a baseball player, I didn't have like really any income in the minor leagues. People don't know, but you don't make like any money in the minor leagues. Like you have to make, you know, you make your money in the show and then, um, you know, I had to live off a signing bonus or whatever. But uh, went to the bank and said, hey, I'd like to get a loan on these houses. Sorry, kid, you don't have like you don't have any income, you know. So because in residential, as you know, it's all based upon your income and your ability to repay and everything like that. And your debt to income ratio, all those things in residential. So had to buy them with some cash, had to start getting creative. And then I learned about, you know, learn about debt, how to use it. Had at one point, I think eight houses. And then I refinanced and I pulled out like an extra $100,000 of equity or whatever, whatever. The, I forget exactly what the numbers were. I was like, this was awesome. I just made like a hundred grand no taxes, right? And the, the passive income thing, so, you know, then I, then I basically bought, I, I got up to like 20 something houses started buying creative real estate, started doing a thing called subject two. we could get into that. I know you do a lot of those, Um, bought some subject two houses, uh, just creative real estate. And then I bought this, um, I bought this apartment building. It was like a 26 unit apartment building. I bought it like creatively, had the seller do the down payment, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I got up to like 55 houses. Well, I guess 30, 30 houses.
0: Go ahead. 55. So I, that was a lot. So I was like, when you got out of baseball, I guess just to, to pause real quick, like were you yeah. doing? You said you went to lunch and dinners with all your dad's friends. Was he in real estate?
1: So my dad is not in real estate. My dad's like oh my uh, he's a deacon at their church up in, in Kokomo. My gotcha. parents are amazing people. My mom is works. She's like the director, CEO of like this nonprofit up there called Cross America. So they do like great things for people, but they're not in like business. They're not in like real right. estate like that. So while I was playing, though, to go back, I was I was buying. I was buying. I was working in the morning, trying to buy single family houses, and i go like pitch in games at night. And then was this
0: from like a signing bonus? How'd you have the money? I guess.
1: Yeah. I, okay. I was fortunate. I had a little bit of money from signing bonus. I bought a truck when I first got it, like a total idiot. But that's just what you did, I guess. I don't, was so dumb. But but I bought a truck. I bought some houses with cash out of the gate, and then I did the refinance thing. Okay. And that's when I learned about borrowing money and using other people's money and all that kind of thing. So I had some cash out of the gate bought some small houses and that's when I started to kind of buy three or four, refinance, three or four, refinance, that kind right. of
0: thing. So it was like the I guess where you're doing the Burr strategy essentially. Burr,
1: yeah. The bigger okay. pockets burr thing. I, I was like a you know, I was I was clawing all over the all over the corners of bigger pockets for like yeah. know, two years as I mean it's like I, I, I'm like this the typical guy, you know, typical yeah. person.
0: Yeah so everyone just, everyone had 55 houses and when they were what twenty eight years old, right? And you're the typical guy. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just saying that I was, I was I just trying
1: to figure it out. You know? Yeah. yeah. Just, so you're,
0: you're buying them cash. Did they need some work? You basically get it to a higher value. You refinance it um, and you rent that's, it out. That's exactly right. Buy something. Yeah. You put 10 grand in. I buy, I
1: buy a $40,000 house. I'd put eight or 10,000 bucks into it. It appraised at 65,000 and I'd pull out, you know, the 50 grand that I'm in it for. And I was like, right. holy that means I got him. I'm in it for no money, you know? And so I started, so when I first started doing that, and this is kind of the hill that I'm willing to die on is like how important cash on cash return is like, that's the only, you know, there's a bunch of metrics to underwrite real estate, but I, the cash on cash return metric is truly the only metric that is, is the most valuable to me. Like it sounds almost hilarious, but when I look at a real estate deal, if it's not an infinite return, meaning I don't have any money in the deal then I'm not really interested in it. Like, even if it's a 500% return deal, that's obviously awesome. But I, I don't want to have any skin in the game. And I can we can go over ways exactly how, no. I die, so how I do that. But I'm not in any deal. Like I have infinite return on <laughs> every one of my deals. I don't have like dollar of any deal, of any money in any deal.
0: But That is the craziest like, part. But That's, that's like the only
1: metric that matters. Like, Of course, you have debt service ratios to banks, and you've got expense ratios, and you've got all these things that matter to certain lenders and certain limited partners but when it comes to me and the returns that I want on my cash, it's gotta be infinite. I gotta have it. I gotta be in it for $0. That's the game. At least for me at least.
0: Yeah. So we can go dive into that more. So I guess you were using, what round were you drafted in? I was drafted in the second round in
1: 2012. You get quickly introduced to uncle Sam and taxes that you have to pay. So I had to write a really large check for that. Um, okay. but I did the thing, I put some money with, you know, one of my uncles, Edwards Jones guy, right, right, and I was right. like, I don't know if I want to just sit here and hope and pray this thing goes up, you know, trying so you to found real, found real estate. Yeah. So I was buying, okay. so it was funny during, during day game days, you know, we, we'd play. And then if we had an off day, I would actually fly to Kokomo. I'd fly to Indianapolis. I'd rent a car for the day and I would go look at 50 houses, put offers in on like 30 of them. And then I'd take the red eye back to whatever city I was in. And then I we get on the bus and we go to somewhere and I go play that night. Like I was doing that. <laughs> this is why you're in the
0: minors. You're in the minors making what? Like minimum wage? Dude, you're
1: talking about like 600 bucks every two weeks pre-tax.
0: Okay. I think I was taking home like 400 bucks. I think I was taking home like 800 bucks a month. Yeah, in- but that second that second round signing boats has got to be good. Not anything where it is now, I'm sure, but that those top six rounds are usually pretty...
1: Yeah, I, I made... I made it was like it was like seven hundred and fifty grand or something like that. So okay. I, I took home I took home like four four ninety almost okay. almost half a million out of the gate. Yeah. So
0: if you're buying forty thousand dollar houses, that'll do. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If you're in, Indiana, in Indiana in what two thousand and twelve? Yeah, in two thousand twelve. Okay. Yeah. So small town. So the um doing the the minor league, kind of doing the you know, just working your way there. Obviously it's a long process for those that don't follow baseball. I mean, you're usually sitting in the minor leagues for years before you ever get pulled up. Um, and then, you know, it's a long process of figuring out if you want to stick it in there. So I guess, did you just get to a point where like, I'm done? Did you have an injury? Um, or is the real estate just going well enough where you started to get out of it?
1: No, I was never injured. Uh, never got hurt or anything like that. I just, you get to a point I think the best way to describe it is the game will will tell you when your career is over, because mm-hmm. I got released and I got picked up by the Nationals. And I was play I was in like, you know, I was in double A, which in double A, you're knocking on the door. You have a chance to get called up to the big leagues. But I'm 26 years old, which in baseball years, you're like, a you know, about to retire, you know, literally. Because mm-hmm. all my teammates are Dominican and they're 19 and they given them three times more what they paid me. So I'm like starting to collect dust on the shelf. I had met a girl when I was in double A who's now my wife, you know, we have children and everything. And so it's like, fell in love with this girl and du- when I was in Birmingham and uh, I went and played one more season, I just was kind of like, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I kind of, I kind of had lost like my love for the game because I realized it was, there's some politics involved, whether yeah. you're a good player, or you're not like, sometimes it's just like, not, it's just not your time. Right. And so I said, I was like, you know what, let me cash in my chips. I'm going to go Annie up and something else. I made some really great friends and teammates and, and some awesome stories. But, um, at that point, quote unquote, I was financially free. I think I had like 12 houses while yeah. I was 26 years old. And I had, you know, I had, I was making like 4,100 bucks a month in passive income after debt service, you know, and everything. And it was enough to exceed my expenses. So I was like at, from Brandon Turner, bigger pockets perspective, I was financially free, you know, yeah, it was, but you're talking about like, not life changing money, but no, no. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that I went back to I went back to college. I got my degree, which this is kind of hilarious, too. But when I was first drafted by Oakland, they said, hey, if you decide to go back to college, you can um, we'll set aside the funds for you to go back. And so I was like, all right, sweet. So I basically went I got my undergrad or my undergrad degree from University of Alabama, Birmingham. So UAB. And what's crazy is not only will they pay for all your schooling, but they'll pay your rent if you're renting a spot. So I was married, and my wife was my landlord. Okay, and so our mortgage is like a thousand, eleven hundred bucks or something. Yeah, I put on the lease like thirty five hundred dollars in rent, and the people in Oakland thought that was a steal for a thirteen hundred square foot house. So they didn't even like question it or anything. So I just got like we were getting a check every month for thirty five hundred bucks for like two years that Oakland was paying for. Not to mention all my education and then. Of course we were buying real estate and doing the whole thing at the time too so it's it's crazy how like no oakland basically serviced our debt for like
0: two years i hope they hear this and find you <laughs> um, <laughs> that's crazy Betty should
1: notice the lady with uh, with oakland so betty i love you thank you for everything
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so crazy so you actually went back to school after diving this far into real estate
1: yeah, I went back. I was like, you know, I, I didn't have a degree. I thought that was an important thing. And I think it is an important thing, but uh I say I'm just gonna go do it. It's gonna take me two years. I had four semesters left. Okay. So I was same thing, you know, working. I was going to class in the morning. I was man, I was trying to do wholesaling stuff. The same thing as yeah. you're trying to like buy stuff in the afternoon. So it was getting home at six thirty, you know, that kind of thing. We didn't have
0: kids at the time. So okay. it was just grind time. So that's gotcha. my education and then just you know, went from yeah. there. So when you got the education, you already had this real estate going. Did you get into a, a W two job, or were you because you graduated? Now you have a degree. Uh, yeah,
1: my buddy, uh, my buddy Kevin Laz is up in Nashville. He he does a Stryker Sports Medicine sales. I thought right. I was always willing to do yeah. that. Was so cool because you wore scrubs every day. You're in the OR. You know, you're selling something. That's pretty cool. So I was into that. So I got my degree. Like fortunately, really got it. I got a job like two weeks out of it, doing exactly what I wanted. I Had this territory in Birmingham. Um, had a great partner, and then the COVID thing happened. All the ca- all the you know um, all the cases basically shut down. All the surgeries shut down for like you know six or seven months. So fortunately, they kept paying us, uh, which was fine. But it gave me more time to kind of do some of the things that I really wanted to do. Um, but man, you know, after I I discovered Infinite Banking, a guy in our office introduced me to the life insurance aspect. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I need life insurance. I'm 27 years old. Like. He was like, it's not about life insurance; it's about cash value, you know. Whatever we can get into this, right. but um, all the while he's like, man, I, I had given him so many referrals because I'm like, I'm such a big advocate of it now. Like I, I, I live and breathe this for my clients and, every, and my investors and my limited partners. But I'm like, he's like, you should come and like teach this. You, you're, you're. I'm like, I'm way more passionate about infinite banking than I was like rotator
0: cuffing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you so were I, doing a medical, yeah. it was medical sales, right, striker
1: yeah. Striker Sports Medicine. Like, yeah. A great, I,
0: job. A great job. Great yeah. job. I have some friends that out of college, I remember that that big company. I mean, I remember them recruiting some people out of OU. Um, so you were doing that, obviously, probably making good money. Someone comes to you as a friend doing the infinite banking stuff. Yeah. He he introduced me.
1: So he's, he's basically, he's my advisor, my agent for my policy. Is that Mike
0: or which one was it?
1: Mike Schmolle. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I spoke with Mike. So basically infinite banking for people that are are hearing this now for the first time. So Nolan is huge into the infinite banking concept, coupling it with real estate, all infinite banking means. And I'll let him explain it better because I don't want to butcher it, but I set up my policy probably, it's been a year now. So almost exactly a year. It was in November. Um, it's, utilizing whole life insurance for cash value, right? We're young. We don't necessarily think of it as needing a life insurance, but instead of putting it into your bank account, something that makes, you know, almost no return or, you know, less than a return because of inflation, we're putting it in there. It grows, it compounds, and then we can use that money because it has a cash value, right? It's liquid. So I guess you're doing this, you're, you're doing real estate. And then this person comes to you and says you should get into life insurance. But, you know i tell people about what i'm doing with infinite banking and people don't understand that like why would i have life insurance and why would i pay this premium every month to do it so whenever he comes to you i guess how did you get persuaded on that
1: well he yeah i met him at a golf event somewhere and he's like hey you know what do you do what do i do whatever and again i was i was 27 i just got out of kind of baseball i was you know trying to discover my new identity in life really cuz i've been a baseball player my whole life And uh, we got to know each other. Mike's a super guy. He's been a great friend of mine. And we he's like, hey, you know, you're in real estate. Like, I think I might have something for you that could really help what you're already doing. And I was like, you know, F off insurance guy. I don't need insurance. I'm 27. You know, and he's like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Just do the homework yourself. Here's a book, you know, becoming your own banker. Nelson Nash, read it yourself. And I was like, all right. So I read the book just to like prove them that I didn't need it. Cause I was like, I'm 27. I'm the smartest guy in the room. I know everything better than everyone else. Like I was like this arrogant baseball douche, you know? Yeah. And I read the book and I was like, I had to, I read it like twice. because like this, there's no way this is like, it started to like really get my gears going. I was like, this really makes some sense. Because before, when I see the return of an insurance policy at like four and a half percent or whatever the number is, I'm like, dude, I can go get a rate of return way higher than that in a real estate deal, right? That's kind of how I was viewing it before. And then what I noticed as I was, you know, talking more back and forth with Mike and the other guys in our office, it's like I was comparing an investment which is real estate to something that is contractually guaranteed, contractually guaranteed to grow every single year and never pay taxes on it. So, it's a it's a it's a totally different asset class than than what real estate is because in real estate you can lose money. The tenant leaves, you don't have cash flow, you got to service the debt, right? There's just risk involved with these life insurance policies. There is no risk. Um, We can go into the weeds about how they guarantee all these returns and things like that. But basically what you do is you put money into a policy. It's guaranteed to grow at a rate of return every single year and compound and you never pay taxes on it and you have access to the liquidity for anything or everything that you want. It becomes a line of credit that you own and control. And so just a comparison for your mind's eye. If you think about a home equity line of credit, where let's say you own a million dollar home or a million dollar piece of real estate, and you have a hundred thousand dollars in equity, whether you put that down or whatever, and you wanted to go maybe redo the kitchen, you and your wife want to redo the kitchen, and you could take money from your checking account or you can borrow from the equity in your home. Well, when you go and borrow fifty thousand dollars from your equity line, the bank doesn't put you know caution tape around the guest bedroom. You know they just they put a lien on your home right like that they on 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 the yeah. on the property that you own that's what they that's that's the lien the, the 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 bank is lending you money based upon the asset and they're using your real estate as collateral okay life insurance is literally identical to a home equity line of credit the difference is the collateral the nature of the collateral meaning when you make deposits into a life insurance policy now it's not payments because deposits build equity you have cash value that's that's the equity in the policy the asset in the life insurance company's eyes, is your death benefit. So if you wanted to do the same thing, you wanted to redo the kitchen in your bathroom or, or your bathroom, whatever, and you borrow from your line of credit in your life insurance policy, right. but the compounding continues to tick away. It's not going to affect the, the asset, which is the death benefit. That's what the insurance company is lending you money off of, is your, is your death benefit. So in real estate, your asset's going to continue to appreciate whether it's levered against or not. In, in life insurance, the cash value is going to continue to appreciate, whether it's levered against or not. That's if that con, if that kind of
0: comparison makes sense. Yeah. No, I have a lot of people that I've spoke to about this that are pretty like kind of like my first mentors in real estate um, that were doing a lot of a lot of real estate deals. They still have a ton of stuff, and I asked them about this, and that was kind of my first no no into it was, well, why would I pay these high premiums? um I have home equity line as a credit why would I get into infinite banking? and that's when I started reading the book getting more into you know the become your own banker book and what would the Rockefellers do that that yes. other one but yeah essentially you're taking you know you have the cash value in there so you're putting it into this policy instead of you know your savings account say it's growing guaranteed at that four and a half percent tax-free and then if you want to go do a real estate deal or you want to go on vacation or whatever it is, you can borrow against your cash value. So now they're giving you the money. Your money keeps growing, right? And I mean, then you nailed it. You nailed it. It, yeah. it keeps growing. And,
1: and the main reason why um, I think a lot of people, when they hear full life insurance or they, they, they say, oh, they, well, first of all, you got the loud noises on the internet. The financial gurus like Dave Ramsey saying, oh, buy yeah. term, invest the difference, right? The biggest thing that I try and convey information over to my client is that, or any investor or limited partner that I do business with, I want everyone to know that there's in whatever transaction that you are on, there's two sides to every coin. You have the debt side and you have the equity side, right? So if you go buy a million dollar building, you borrow $750,000 from the bank and then you inject $250,000, right? Of of your own money. There is debt of 75% and there's 25% of equity, right? The bank... They're on the debt side. They're conservative by nature. You know, you and I, real estate guys, we're risk takers by choice. So we're out there trying to, you know, find ways to improve the value, you know, increase the rents, you know, decrease the expenses, you know, doing what we do. Banks, on the other hand, they would much rather you take the risk. We'll just take a debt position on this thing. You get all of the upside of the real estate, all the depreciation, all the appreciation, all the principal pay down, all the cash flow. You get all of that stuff. All we want is a little bit of interest on our principal. And also, if you get abducted by aliens, we get the collateral, right? That's the difference between in equity. There is risk, though. You deploy capital. Again, your tenant doesn't pay. You still have to service that debt. The, the, the bank is going to earn their interest no matter what every single month. Mm-hmm. But you as the equity owner, you get all of the upside. So to make this come full circle with the life insurance component, when people are you know doing the term thing, again, I'm not knocking that. But they're not, playing, they're not playing the wealth game. You're just playing the what-if game. And I think that's just where a lot of people, um, that's why they, they say 99%. They're not actually end up growing their wealth. But with life insurance, when you make a deposit into a whole life policy with a mutual company, which is exactly what we do, you literally are becoming an equity owner of that insurance company. Now, it's not a very big one if you're depositing small numbers. If you're depositing millions, you become a larger equity owner. But what that does essentially means that every year that that insurance company goes and earns a profit, which insurance companies are basically in the business of mitigating risk. They're the best in the world. So they're almost guaranteed to earn a profit. I mean, the companies we work with have been paying dividends and profit shares for like 150 years in a row. So the the most likely location to park capital for a guaranteed return is with mutual insurance companies. So to get to full circle... When you go and make deposits into whole life, you're not on the debt side. You're on the equity side. You are earning, you get all the upsides of ownership and appreciation. The longer that you hold a whole life policy, the more appreciation and dividends that you earn inside your policy that are tax-free. So somebody that's wanting to play the short game and they're thinking only about the next 12 to 18 months, infinite banking, whole life insurance, not going to be for you. It's it's just not. But if you're playing the real estate game, you're playing the cash flow game, you're playing the long-term, you know, outlook on what you're trying to accomplish, there's no better location in the entire financial world for you to own and or hold capital, borrow it out to deploy into investments that you know, like, and trust, and then couple those two ideas together to basically um get rid of your tax liability. It's 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 remarkable yeah. what happens when you when you use life insurance and real estate together. It's it's remarkable.
0: Yeah. No, when I when I read that that book and then saw what you know some of the stuff what you're doing you know all these big people in real estate it's not like super heavily talked about it almost seems too confusing for people so nolan just went into the the deep version of it which is cool to see like how passionate you are about it and the for the five-year-old terms, it's the book is be called or is called becoming your own banker because you're now doing what the bank's doing instead of putting your money into the bank account where the bank now lends this money and makes interest on your money you're putting it into your own whole life insurance policy that is serving as, you know, now this is making interest. It's my own bank. So if I want to go lend 20 grand to put on down on a house, they, the insurance company gives me that money. I put it on a house. It's now making the equity, the cash flow, the appreciation, but it never left that policy. So I pay myself back on my own time. And now I'm making interest on myself and on the, you know, real estate investment. So becoming your own bank is basically what that allows you to do with the infinite banking concept. And it has to be structured correctly with, you know, these mutual life insurance companies, um, that are doing what, what Nolan does. So you've now done this coupled with commercial real estate, probably, you know, single family in the first place, but now your whole focus has shifted to commercial, which is, You know a whole nother alley that i haven't necessarily gone down to i want to move into it eventually but um how have you you say like tax benefits all that so whenever you had all these single family rentals to kind of full circle this you had 55 units um you started to get this apartment complex you say you always try and get in with no money and i tell people this on some of my social media because like i'm young i take some risks i think i'm pretty risk averse but i'm also like i'll just jump into it and figure it out which is what I've done with some of these deals. And I like to get, you know, I know the numbers make sense. I'll get other people's money to fund some of these so that I'm not just using all my own capital. Whereas sometimes, you know, single family, it's like, oh, we need the plumbing fixed. I need this repaired. And now I'm out some of my own capital anyways. But um, if you can use other people's money and then get an infinite return, also coupled with, you know, infinite banking, I guess, how did you move all this single family stuff? Into commercial for what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, so so like I said, I got up because again, I was similar to you, similar to everybody that's on bigger pockets, similar to everybody that's buying real estate. You start with a one or two single family base hits, you know, whatever. You try and scale up. I read a book in 2019. It's called uh, Commercial Real Estate Investing: A Creative Way to Make Money. It's written by a guy named Dolph DeRoose. I could show you know you can check it out online. I mean, maybe it's like 18 bucks. It's, maybe it's at yeah. my house, but I've um, heard of that is it is like, it's like changed my perspective. It totally changed my, my view on real estate. And
0: before what I was man, rich dad, poor dad,
1: uh, I, uh, well, rich dad, poor dad got me thinking differently. And then this one just said, okay, it's like rich dad, poor dad on like steroids. steroids. You know? Yeah. Well, it's was like actually diving into like how to do commercial real estate, how it's valued differently than residential. Cause you know, in residential, if I was to ask you, you know, if there's 10 houses in a cul-de-sac, and they're all going for two hundred thousand dollars. And then there's eleventh house in that cul-de-sac, and maybe they just put some brand new granite countertops in there. How much do you think that house is going to go for when all the other ones are going for two hundred? Like two hundred two. Two hundred two, right? I mean, yeah, you know, you can maybe put a new toilet or bathroom in there, but. The fact is with residential the value of those homes the intrinsic value of residential real estate is based upon the comparable sales or the comps in the area. That's the mm-hmm. only value that it is. It doesn't matter. And I would actually go a step further and say residential property is more valuable if it's vacant because that means somebody can move in faster versus an occupied property and you got to move the tenant out, you got to show it, you got to give the, you know, the guy 24-hour notice, you know how it is. Yeah. I When I got introduced to commercial real estate and, I've, and I understood that the intrinsic value of commercial real estate is based upon its net operating income, not the comparable sales, but its cash flow, that if I increase the net operating income, I increase the value, it creates this creativity mindset in your head where it's like, wait a minute. So if I find a vacant building for a million dollars that produces no income, and then I go find a tenant and I lease it up at whatever the market rate is, of five bucks a foot or whatever, you know, I can just essentially double the value of the building to $2 million because it was producing no income and now it is producing income. So I, I substantially increased the net operating income on that building. So I discovered that and I was like, well, hang on now, wait a minute. So if I can be in control of the value now all I got to do is figure out how to find the buildings and the deals. And so that's when I, before most people say, go find the deal. The money will find you. You know, that's what they talk about on bigger pockets. Like I'm not a hater on bigger pockets, but like that's for the residential guys. Yeah. So it's not a hate. I'm just like, I, I, I don't think like that anymore. And so I do not look on LoopNet. I do not look on Crexie. I don't spend any of my time. Searching for deals myself—that's like the biggest key and secret that I've discovered. It's like I don't spend any time finding deals. I focus my time on building relationships with lenders and limited partners because, at the end of the day, those are the guys. Those are my money guys. The deals will come because I've got brokers and you know leasing guys out there that are finding the deals for me because I've given them a very specific type of building that I want to look for. You know, ten to thirty thousand square feet. The, the tenant has to be bringing in two to 25 million in gross revenue. That means they're not a mom and popper. That means that they understand the difference between their variable and their fixed costs in their business. So I know that every month my ACH is going to hit. I'm not going to have any issues collecting rent. And, and of course you set everything up. So I don't actually end up having to do any collecting. It's just, automatically hits my debt service is automatically running out and it's automatically paid to my limited partners so all i do is just like get online once a month and just like double check that everything was the banks did what they were supposed to do but i don't spend any time looking at property myself i spend all my time focusing on relationships with lenders and limited partners my brokers know exactly what I'm looking for. My leasing guy knows exactly what type of tenants that I want to lease my spaces. He knows what types of properties that I'm looking to buy because, you know, like I said, 10 to 30,000 feet. And then not to mention to my bankers and my limited partners, I've developed this, this like reputation for a style of project that I take on every time I buy a building to where then my lender gets really comfortable with my risk appetite. My limited partners are very comfortable with the types of buildings that I'm purchasing, and the game plans and the pro formas that I pre- that I present to them. So it's very consistent and it's and it's it's uh, predictable, really. Like I'm not like doing mm-hmm. anything out of the norm. Like I mentioned earlier, any time that I go find something that's outside, that's maybe a shiny object, then that's when I like just because I looked at something, I thought I can make a quick like 15 grand. It ends up like taking a bunch of my bandwidth, and I get mad at myself, you know. Versus just like staying in my lane and focusing on using my team and my lenders and my and my limited partners to just go and like take down deals one after another. And then, of course, like in our mastermind group, we have other people bringing more deals and more guys that want to deploy capital. And it's like this compounding effect. And it's just like it's amazing how it just kind of gets rocking and rolling. And um, it, it's just it's just going and going like that. If that, if that kind of yeah. if that kind of uh, I don't know if that yeah, answers your question. The- Kind of went on a little roll. No, that
0: is good Cause I was wondering how you were getting the leads too, because that's what you just said is cool to hear because it's what it feels like right now with what my brother and I have kind of built on the residential side. It's like, okay, I got into I mean I've started from like zero on each little industry. I guess I was in smart home security selling door to door in college. And then we're like okay we can make more money selling solar. So I started from zero again, brought our team over to sell solar doing the same job just making more money and now it's like i figured out i could wholesale and i was already knocking on doors so i get some big wholesale deals and i'm making like 30 grand 40 grand on a deal Okay. Yeah, you know, wholesaling it so i'm like why would i not do this and then i realized you can buy property subject to on the ones that we weren't going to wholesale so then i'm like okay i picked up six properties and the rest of them i'm wholesaling and then i try and rent it out because i'm like okay if i just hold everyone says this like that you know, is in real estate that's older. They're like, I wish I just would have held more of these and not flipped them. Cause then it's like, they're worth way more, you know, you're giving up so much upside, so start holding on to the ones that I can. And everyone else in this network realizes I can close deals. I can talk to sellers. Most people are new and they're afraid they don't know how it works. And so now 50, 60% of our leads are just brought to us from other people. Just, Hey, I need help closing this, closing that. And it's like, that's the biggest value of my time right now, but that's how our leads are being brought to us. Whereas with you, you're going to brokers, which sound like almost like your bird dogs. But I'm sure they're getting paid. That's why they want to find oh, yeah, the deal.
1: Oh, yeah, they get paid. Yeah,
0: but there are these on market deals. Are they finding them and just getting to you before they're even on things like LoopNet or?
1: Yeah, we're not looking at a bunch of stuff on LoopNet. We're not looking at a bunch of stuff that's like already. You know, again, maybe sometimes there's some on market deals, but uh, most of the time they, you know, if my brokers know exactly what I'm looking for. Because here's the thing is these brokers are taking a risk anytime they go look for a particular investor, right? Like if it's just if it's me and you and you call up my broker and say, Hey, I'm looking to get into commercial real estate, this is what I'm looking for. They're thinking, Okay, if I go start spending my time sending this Ben guy a bunch of stuff and he doesn't close anything, I don't make any money. Right. Versus, hey, if no one says, Go find this building for me, he knows that if you find it, he will close and he will and I will get paid they're more likely to take the risk of working with me than they are for you, if that kind of makes sense. Like the risk of, all right, do I spend my time just looking for some new guy or do I spend my time working with some guy where I know I'll get paid because this guy's got a track record to close, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I wanted to run back on you real quick on the subject to deal that you just said. So I've done this like a couple of times and I, cause, okay, I will be honest. I sold all my stuff in Kokomo. I've still got like four houses that I own subject to. Okay. But here's what I do and this is what you can do and everybody that's listening. So again, to go back to the deal of no money. So I had this guy and it's almost the same it's the same guy that sends me these subject to because he knows I like him. So little house in Gallion, Alabama. It's like a little no-name town. I bought this house, it's like, you know, probably worth 180, right? 120,000 dollars of debt on the property, you know, whatever. It's probably worth a little bit less now where interest rates are, but this guy had 3% interest rate whatever, just bought the house 12 months before. And he goes, hey, this guy's got to get out. Would you buy this? Would you write him a check for ten grand? And write me, write write me. It was like eight grand, and write me a check for four. So I was in it for twelve thousand bucks, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I gave the check to the seller for eight. You know, okay. And the guy was like, look, if you give me four thousand bucks, and I'll walk away from it. I'm like, okay. So I ran, I drove down there, checked it out. So what you can do, and this is what I've done on every one of these deals now, is when I go and buy a subject to us, I take a check of twelve grand. So I'm in the deal for twelve thousand bucks. Of course, subject to deals means that the deed stays in the um, or the 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 deed transfers over to me, but the mortgage stays in the previous owner's name. So you're you you're buying the property subject to the existing financing. Okay, so, so you so take I got over like, the
0: three percent rate.
1: Exactly. So my yeah. mortgage on the thing is like you know. A thousand bucks a month or something. I don't even know what it is. Right. So the people
0: that are confused on that, that just means he paid the seller eight thousand bucks. He paid the guy that brought him the lead four thousand. So essentially, instead of going to a bank to get a down payment, take the current interest rate, you now have a three percent rate and you're twelve thousand dollars into the house.
1: That's right. That's exactly what it is. Now i that years- on his behalf. Right. So, so what I, what I did is I, you know, of course found an agent, whatever, we're trying to flip it. And I was like, I don't I, you know, I don't know if that's the move on this one. Cause I like where the debt is. I like the property. I think it's worth X amount of dollars. So what I did is instead of, instead of just like, you know, renting the property out, I put a lease option on it. So I did an option to, so, you know, an option and what I, I didn't do it. Like I would do it differently now, but, but what I did is I put a, uh, a third position lien on it. So I put a, the bank has first position. I basically put a mirror, I won't get into the weeds, but I put a mirror lien that mirrors the first position. And then I put basically another like $50,000 in profit on top of it. So every month, so this guy wrote me a check for 20,000 bucks as the quote unquote down payment, which again, I pay my seller or my agent commission of like six grand or something. So now I basically made 2000 bucks. He pays me $1,500 a month. um, And you know, whatever on top of that goes to pay the principal down, so I'm making like 300 bucks a month in passive income after I service the debt. But then of course, one day down the road when he actually wants to buy the property from me, he has to write me a check for like $150,000 or a hundred. It's hundred and 180,000. I pay off the 120,000 and I make out with like 55 grand or something like
0: that. Right. I, I
1: have to look back and forth. At that, but yeah. what I'm doing is I'm just basically owner financing it to somebody yeah. else and they give me a down payment with yeah. that's not refundable.
0: So I showed this to to people. Actually, I started posting on social media. um, And that's what I was, my goal was with the house I bought subject to in Baytown. So it's Houston area. Never been to this property. Luckily, I'm in that network. There's people there that can help, but same idea. So for those that are confused, I 3% interest rate as well. So they were in foreclosure. They were 13 grand behind the mortgage. So this is where it's a little harder, you know, when they're in foreclosure or they don't have equity is the only reason people would really sell you a house subject to, but I catch up the 13 grand. I gave them three grand to the seller. And then I took over a 3% interest rate. There was no realtor or anything. I found the deal through my VA that was calling. So I went in, had to do some repairs. I started marketing this to someone that, you know, couldn't qualify with a bank was basically what he's saying. So he said lease option in Texas. There are certain rules I know against that which I didn't really realize until you brought this up to me, but um, we market this to sell owner finance. So if my principal balance in this deal is 195, but the house is worth 300. So I had to put a little bit in repairs to fix it up. The house is worth 300. So I've marketed this at $300,000, 10% down. So for 25, 30 grand, you can own this house at a seven, 8% interest rate. So essentially you're getting all your money back and now you're charging a current interest rate really. And you're making a 800 buck a month spread that you don't even own the property anymore. You pass it to them. And then when they refinance or sell is when you get paid again. So you get paid three times on the upfront payment, the cash flow, and then the difference in their mortgage versus your first mortgage. So those deals are crazy. I know lease option. um, So you were technically the owner the whole time. You never even passed them the deed until Right. They actually so they,
1: they close and they have a they got like another they got like another thirty six months before that balloon hits. Okay. So they, if just, they
0: don't if they don't buy it,
1: then I just keep their down payment.
0: Right. But they're going to do it.
1: They're probably going to do it the next by the end of this year. But um, right. Which would be kind of okay. foolish, but I think they'll hold up. Maybe I—I I don't know. I don't. It didn't bother because they are so habit. They pay every single month. But I think to go back to what you're saying earlier, like talking about tenants and stuff like that. The reason why I have kept this one and haven't sold it is candidly because it's so easy. Like I'm not having they, they've they've invested money into the house already because they're thinking they're going to own it, and and they gave me twenty thousand dollars down. Like when you give some, when someone puts some skin in the game versus just leasing a house. Like they, they give it, they, they care, you know, they care yeah. a little bit. So, and they probably
0: don't call you about a, a hole in the wall because no, they, they do, do it, it themselves. It. Yeah. Cause it's their yeah. house. Any improvements
1: that you make are yours. They're your yeah. house. you to own it. So, yeah.
0: That's so that's it's, a, it's a crazy way to not be a landlord. You're basically getting an infinite return, like you're saying. So, you're almost no money or actually making money if you do it right. Um, you're making the interest spread or the rent spread, and then you get paid the big amount. On the difference between your you know first lien and theirs which is the craziest part so you do give up if you do a straight owner finance deal like on that one i had a lady back out on the the buy like last minute because some family stuff and i just like had so good cash flow and equity that i'm like i'm just going to rent this out so now i have you know essentially like 60 to 100 grand in equity in this house um and it's renting out for 500 Bucks cash flow every month. I think they pay twenty three fifty. My mortgage is seventeen hundred, so it wasn't like I I didn't get all the money back that I was into it. But I could go next year after this lease is up or this renter that's in there. I told them if you want to buy this owner finance for thirty grand down, you can have it at a eight yeah. percent interest rate. So go. then you know I get that money back one day, and now I'm not even a landlord. I just pass it over to him. with a bank. You you literally are the bank to them. Right. Right. Like a Ben Jensen. <laughs> so that's what's crazy about the creative finance so you are still doing you have four single family houses um all like that, that. So, all like that yeah
1: so so what so i don't really again when those deals come up like that they don't come up often you know because i've just i've tried to paint the picture that i'm just in commercial now so sometimes that those stuff will come up and i got to take them down because they're good deals but what i what i really like the way that i'm in every deal for no money is so if we go buy a million dollar building. So let me let me just back up for a sec. So when you're underwriting commercial real estate, like I said before, it's based upon its net operating income. So if you increase the rent, you increase the value. So a mat, in, in the way you derive into property value. So if you can think back from like a, a fraction from back in high school, you basically just take the net operating income and you divide it by the market cap rate. So like let's say the market cap rate in your area is 10. The property's stolen off a hundred thousand dollars a year in net cash flow you take a hundred thousand you divide it by 0. 0.1 and that's going to give you a valuation of a million dollars that's how you come to the conclusion that this value is a million so what i discovered again like I said earlier talking about a vacant building and leasing it up or maybe even half of the building is is occupied and you go lease the other the other side like if that building is thrown off a hundred grand now and I go lease the other side of the space for two hundred thousand for another hundred so now I'm bringing in 200,000 well the market cap rate is still the same so I would take 200,000 Divide that by 0. 0.1, and now the valuation of the building is two million dollars. So that's the that's what I've been doing is I'll go and find you know buildings that I can buy fifty percent off, basically lease them up, or for whatever reason, um, you know if it already is rented or whatever, I'll buy it at a discount. But most of the time, I mean, I'm able to go and increase the values like significantly just by leasing the space, and so. What I'll do is I'll go and have like the seller finance me, the down payment, I'll you know, million dollar building, $750 from the bank, $250 from the seller. They take a second position on the the building behind my lender and they'll finance me the down payment. I got this whole spreadsheet that I sit down and I talk with the seller and say, look, believe it or not, you know, we're in the same business. You're trying to squeeze as much juice out of this deal as possible. Same way as me. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm also not just doing it on the buying side. I'm trying to do it for the seller side too. So if you were to do this deal traditionally, this is how this deal will transact. You're going to have this amount of money. You're going to pay off this mortgage. This is what your capital gain is going to be. Uncle Sam is going to get this much of this. If you can understand that you and I are actually not on different teams. We're on the same team. The real culprit here is is Uncle Sam. He's the bad guy trying to take more capital gains from you. So if you think about it from a perspective of him and I being on the same team, and I say if you leave money in the deal, so whenever you guys are positioning seller finance, don't ever say seller finance. Don't ever say lean position. Always just say, leave money in the deal because that's not going to trigger a defense response from your seller. Just say, leave money in the deal. And then what you can do to even go further into like, just really dig your heels in is say, when this, look at the math, check out and then go consult with your accountant, go consult with your CPA. And I'm willing to bet that I can't predict the future, but I've got a crystal ball and I'm willing to bet that when you come back and call me back in three days, you're going to ask if you can leave more money in this deal. And so they're going to say, "Haha, that's hilarious. But when they go consult with their CPA and they say actually if you leave this amount of money in the deal you're going to save x amount in taxes so they call you back and they want to leave more money in the deal i'm telling you it's it's happened it's happened like 6 times it's ridiculous like just because i'm just not threatening i'm like look you don't yeah. have to do this i'm your teammate here i'm just trying to help you save money so when it's positioned that way that i'm not trying to like get something out of them then we're just teammates i'm trying to help them and then their cpa confirms it Dude, stamp it, man. It's, it's yeah. is, is game over. Like every now and then you'll get somebody that will say, Oh, well, I don't know if this makes sense or whatever. And I say, No problem. If it's not for you, if you're not in the business of saving money, whatever, no big deal. But what I do do after that, though, just to still be in the deal for no money, is it's still a million dollar building. We got to show up with 250. I'll call one of my limited partners that have appetite for commercial triple net leases, and I'll say, You bring 250 to the deal, we'll split the equity 50-50. I'll do all the work, I'll set up the ACH, but you get 100% of the cash flow until yeah, all of your principal yeah. are repaid. So yeah. he's putting up all the money. You know, I'm maybe personally guaranteeing some debt whatever like that. I found the deal, but I get 50% equity in that space and I didn't put up any dollars, any money. Now, sure, I'm giving up some cash flow, but the real game that I'm trying to play too that you know about Ben is I'm trying to play the bonus depreciation game. So right. on a $1 million dollar space, I'll get like $125,000 of bonus depreciation, he'll get the other 125,000. But at the end of the day, that's basically a straight up and down deduction against my income of my other income. So yeah. if you can buy enough real estate, you can have all this bonus depreciation completely wipe out your income. And then yeah. if you have any money that I consult with my limited partner, take a policy loan of 250, he's just stretched his dollar even further. And it just yeah. like, you can just keep squeezing juice out of this thing until your returns like get so astronomical. Like I got a guy with the deal right now. Um, we're flipping this property. It's a commercial. We're flipping a, prop- a commercial, commercial property. property. He's going to make twelve thousand percent return on his cash by using a life insurance policy versus just using money from his checking account. It's crazy. Yeah. Twelve thousand percent just by that's where What money from? That's all it is. It's the only difference. It's crazy.
0: So that's yeah. that's crazy. The beginning, of this I, you had me cracking up in the middle a ton of sales stuff right there that people don't realize like i don't even i guess you were doing medical sales but you know we being in door-to-door we're just straight sitting in appointments with the homeowner and the funniest thing is like, you don't want to save money we can you know there's a lot of other people we need to go talk to and that was like the biggest line with with solar it's like i mean you're paying this utility bill if you don't want to you know save it with a fixed solar payment but um the the seller finance part is crazy too. I do that with single family, but people in commercial multifamily are way more willing because the capital gains are huge. If they sell this, they're losing what thirty five percent to the government. So yeah, if you can not, get them, not, especially if they've got some yeah. principal pay down,
1: you know, if they got some principal pay down and they've and they've got you know the building's appreciated. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, any deal you do, whatever whatever the single family you know numbers usually are, it just add a zero mm-hmm. most of the time. Right. You're talking about million dollars in net profit on a deal and and to to be clear too just to segue a second like the reason why that these buildings work and why commercial in my opinion is the safest asset it's so much not even an opinion i think it's actually fact but when you go and borrow money from a bank for a commercial property versus a residential property let's say that you're buying a house right same way as all the the guys that you guys are wholesaling to when someone goes and buys a house and it's a $200,000 house, the mortgage is X, Y, and Z, whatever, you are actually looking, the bank is looking and saying, okay, who is really on the hook to pay this loan back? Even if you're going to rent the property out then Like I would ask you, if you were going to go borrow a mortgage, $150,000 from a bank, $1,000 a month, but the rent's two grand, right? Who is the bank? Is the bank looking at your tenant or are they looking at you as the person paying the mortgage back? If you really yeah, think about man. it, you know, you. You're on the hook for that. I mean, yeah, you're going to personally guarantee debt, especially even if you have a Walgreens, like you're personally guaranteeing debt. But in residential, the bank is looking at you as the asset. They're looking at you and your ability to repay your debt to income ratio. With commercial real estate, candidly, they don't even know They don't even know my credit score because they don't care. They're looking at my tenants and their ability to, to pay rent because the rent, the The true intrinsic value of commercial real estate is the tenant. That's the value of commercial. If you have a strong, that's why when you see Walgreens, you see um, these major league, you know, even if you're looking on LoopNet, you see like huge conglomerate businesses with corporate guarantees. That's why you see cap rates at like 5% because people are willing to maybe receive a less return on their money to know that it's, it's a Fortune 500 business guaranteeing that lease. Like that's the real strength of the debt. When you borrow money from a residential property, that's why you see all the time, oh, you can only borrow, you know, you can only buy like eight houses or something before you got to go find another bank and residential because you personally only have so much income to be able to offset your debt to income ratio. Where commercial, that's why people can buy like hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate and it never affects you personally because you're never actually the one that the bank cares about. They care about your ability to repay. So that, that was another big hurdle, not hurdle, but a big jump for me was In my thinking was like, man, I I only got this much income and the bank's like, we don't really care. Like, does, is there, is the debt service coverage ratio make sense for us or does it not? How long is the lease? What's the escalations? Like, what's the actual strength of the tenant? What's their balance sheet look like? They underwrite the tenant more than they care about me because really the tenant is the one that's the most important player in the actor in the play.
0: If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just finding.
1: Different.
0: Are they mainly. And I could go in so many different questions on this because it's so cool. Um, but the the going back to the bonus depreciation, I think a lot of people don't realize that in in taxes, especially like the wealthy, like oh they don't pay anything in taxes because you can write off. So if you have a million dollar building, you can bonus depreciate what you're saying. So a certain amount, they basically divide that value right by a given you know number, and you can write that off against your active income because you're a real estate professional, right?
1: Yeah, there, there's some caveats. There's some rules, but it's it's pretty simple. It's basically a, a, to, to draw the curtains back. You, you hire what is it called a cost segregation engineer. Basically, what that means is that in real estate and commercial real estate, and I think you can even do it a residential, but um, what you end up doing is a million dollar building. You got a warehouse. What a cost segregation engineer does is come in and he finds out that there's items inside of that property that is not necessarily attached to the structure, right? So Think about um, uh, uh, let's just look at like an apartment building for a second. You know, you've got anything that's not on the roof or on the structure. So you can think about this like the the AC unit, the, the you know the HVAC unit, the the ovens, the dishwashers, the uh, microwaves, the laminate flooring, the carpet, the fans. Right. All of these items in here are actually depreciating; they're losing value at a faster rate of speed than what the IRS deems in residential is 27 and a half years commercial. It's 39 years. So most of the time before bonus depreciation, you buy something for a million bucks, you divide that by 39. And that's what you're able to depreciate every single year. Mm-hmm. But again, these cost segregation engineers come in, find all these items, figure out what their depreciable life lifetime is. And they front load that into the very first year. So again, each property is a little bit different, but you can ballpark like 25 to 28% of whatever you purchase the property for, you're going to be able to front load it in the first year. So a million dollar building, you can take $250,000 of bonus depreciation in the first year. And if you are a real estate professional, which it's really not that difficult to do, got to be in real estate for over half your time in 750 hours a year, you can then offset that against your earned income. It's, it's yeah. pretty pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. So that's like, the bonus, I actually had a buddy calling me. I might show him this part. I was told him to ask you. He's He makes a lot of money. He's a sales manager and doing solar, but young guy, they're all just killing it, doing sales. But he's like, Ben, Ben, I need to get a house to depreciate this income. But I'm like, he, he thinks, so he's like, I found him a subject to deal. He wants to buy it. It's right here. But it's like a $330,000 house. He's only like 20 grand in to get into it. Um, but I was like, I don't think you can do a, Costs or like he wants to bonus depreciate basically year one to try and write off the most amount of income. But I was like, if you divide 330 by you know 27 and a half, you're only depreciating.
1: Well, well, to to go back on that guy again, I don't know his current situation, but if he doesn't own any real estate in his, yeah. you know, one, one thing I've tried to tell people, especially if you're not if you don't own any real estate yet, like if you're married, have your spouse go become a real estate agent. You don't even have to yeah. be good at real estate sales, you don't have to, but if you have a if you have a license your spouse can be the real estate professional. And then if you're the high income earner, you're making a half a million dollars a year, you can take the depreciation from your real estate to offset against your high earned active income. So like just to do the numbers here, like think about if you were making 250 a year in your job and you're having to send 100,000 of that to Uncle Sam, but you go buy this million dollar building and you depreciate $250,000 in a passive loss before you're making 250, you just lost 250. Now they equal each other out. No, that $100,000 that your employer is withholding, you're going to get that as a refund at the end of the year. So not only do you get all the appreciation, not only you get the principal pay down the cash flow from the real estate, but you also put in $100,000 back in your pocket. I call that kind of metric intrinsic return on injected equity. So meaning when you deploy money into a deal, not only are we talking about cash flow, not only are we talking about appreciation, but what are we talking about in regards to your tax refund that you'll receive at the end of the year? Because... Of the depreciation deduction that you're going to receive so yeah that's a whole other extra side okay. of it that just like really can can get things yeah. up, can really increase the returns on your money
0: it's pretty amazing. that would be that's crazy especially for someone that's doing you know a job like that where they're expecting to pay that much in taxes to get a refund like that you know it's technically money that was yours but you were giving it away um they're 10.99 though so they're they're kind of you know write off and then you pay taxes so you try to write off all our income but um, yeah, that's why it's so crazy for this, you know, creative side of real estate is, you know, we I was doing sales, commission base, everything. I wrote off all my income. I, I had to co-sign on that first property with my dad because I didn't have any, I didn't know what subject two was. I like, I didn't have no work history or credit. I just had like a hundred grand that I made from selling alarms in a summer. And I'm like, well, I Thank can you. go get into real estate, but I don't know how to you know, I, I can't qualify for a loan. So luckily I could co-sign, but yeah, for everyone else doing like what you're doing creative side on subject two, you can get into it without having a bank check your credit or, you know, getting two years of income from W2 job or having the best credit score ever. So that's, what's pretty cool. Wholesaling the same thing. Obviously that's more of a quick flip, but um, no money or credit needed. So there's a ton of ways to get into real estate without actually being, you know, Having millions of dollars, I think a lot of people think that you have to do that. It's more just go find someone that's doing it, bring them a lead, learn it yourself, and then uh, use that experience. But man, I could go into all this forever. I guess back, you know, kind of wrap this up. So the infinite, infinite banking stuff on all of this. So you're you're setting up all these policies. Um, I guess how to someone that is listening to this, maybe they're big into real estate, they have some capital, they're like the 401k people, IRA. Um, I know I've never had to do that because I'm just, I say had to, (laughs) but like I've never had a W2 job. I've just been doing sales. So I've always put my money into real estate or life insurance. So that's pretty cool from this stage. It's nothing crazy yet, but, you know, over the time as I start compounding. Um, So for those that don't have that, maybe they have capital. Um, Is that something they can go to you, sit down, see if it makes sense for them? How much money do you need to be paying or making every month to make sense to do you know, infinite banking concept.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, so just to be clear too, infinite banking is actually not even describing a life insurance policy. It's describing a behavior. It's describing how you behave with your money. What I mean is you can practice infinite banking with like the shoebox under your bed. Meaning if you've got 10 grand and you're, and you're under your bed, you take out 5,000 of that to go to Disney World or something. When you go and fill that shoebox back up, charge yourself interest. The market rate of interest, Char- put back five thousand five hundred dollars. Like that's infinite banking. You're charging yourself the market rate of interest that the that the the bank or whoever was that you would have otherwise used, used their money would have charged you. So really, you're controlling, like like Ben said earlier, the banking function. You're controlling the financing function in your life. The reason why the whole life policy works is because instead of taking money out of a checking or out of a shoebox where you're not earning anything anyway. But if it was a checking account where you were earning 3%, which is still even aggressive, uh, but whatever, you've just taken $10,000 earning 3% down to $5,000 earning 3%. So you just removed your money. With the life insurance, you never actually removed your money from the policy. Like What I discovered as I was studying this idea and the life insurance aspect in general is that the richest people in the world, the banks, the corporations, all these guys do this. Next time you go into your bank, I would encourage you to check out Everyone's name tag. That is not a teller there. Everybody is a vice president. Everybody. Everyone's a vice president. It doesn't matter if you, again, not a teller, but somebody that's just sitting at one of the cubicles in there because there's a thing called bank owned life insurance called BOLI. You can Google it. What these banks do is anybody that is an insurable interest, meaning a vice president, they slap whole life insurance on them. Like, and they just funnel all of their tier 1 capital into boley into bank owned life insurance. And so all of that money becomes sheltered from creditors, it becomes sheltered from tax. All of these guys are playing this game like but to go, so the, the strategy, the policy that we can set up for you is one thing. I mean, it's we do it the Nelson Nash way, the way that the inventor actually enhanced and created the idea. We actually learned directly from him, which is pretty cool. But all of the guys that you see, all of the guys in the Fortune 500 banks the, the, the Elon Musk's, all these guys, are they're all doing this, right? They're all behaving like a bank. And what I mean is maybe Elon Musk doesn't have an infinite banking. He probably has a ton of it. But what I'm saying is that what he does is he puts money into an asset. This is what all these guys do. Here's the biggest secret. Can't really distill it down anymore. Every wealthy person that you know puts money into an asset that's going to appreciate in value. And then they borrow against it and never pay taxes. Whether that's your real estate, which your mortgage payment, your building equity, whether that is your stock portfolio that you hope and pray to God goes up and that you have more equity and more stock or life insurance, which is guaranteed tax free to grow up every year. So what I discovered is, all right, I could put in a stock portfolio and I could hope to God that it goes up, but I don't have control over that. The real estate thing, because it's commercial, I have way more control over it versus my red lobster waiter tenants that I don't know if they're going to pay or not. If their grandma has COVID, they can't pay on time. Or I have business owner tenants and commercial properties that are triple net leases with six to eight to 10, 12 year leases that go up 3% every single year that are guaranteed almost to pay me rent every month because if they don't, their business is going to go under. So they're a lot more on the hook to want to pay me. But what I'm getting at though is when you put money into life insurance, which is an asset, it is guaranteed to go up in value every single year. You're guaranteed to never pay taxes on it and you have immediately liquidity whenever you need it. Why the heck would I go put money into a 401k that I can't touch, I can't control? And then Uncle Sam down the way who created the idea in the first place can come back and say, hey, I know I told you this one thing. Here's how much I was going to take. I'm changing the tax laws by the time you're wanting to retire. And I'm going to take some more of that equity that you built up. Like how, how bad of a deal is that? So I have just put my money. I don't have a 401k. I don't have an IRA. All I have is life insurance, whole life insurance, structure for cash, and commercial triple net lease real estate. And I'm willing to die on that hill. That's the only two things that I have, man. And so, if you are interested in like learning about the life insurance thing, you know, I can I can send you the the link that I'll send to you for Ben. You can check out. We also have our you know our CRE Collective, which is basically just a private mentorship for people that want to buy industrial real estate. Whether you may not have a lot of money, but you have time, so you can go build your team out and find those deals, or you might be a higher income or high net worth guy where you may not have the time to go find the deals, but you have the capital and you know the appetite to invest in these industrial triple net lease deals. So what we do is we essentially just marry the two ideas together. So when these investors do bring deals that's been vetted and supervised by me, you have capital on the back and that can fund them. And then that's where things just start to really start to rock and roll. So I'm passionate about it and I love it. I, I can't get enough of either one of them. It's, it's yeah. changed my life. It's changed my family's life. I'm
0: really, really fortunate. No, that's awesome. Um, that's cool because I think a lot of people listening to this will be new investors. You know, people uh, maybe that are already doing stuff, but a lot of people that don't realize or haven't set up that that kind of policy yet. So, I think. Do you think it's something at any strategy you can get into, or do you need to be at a certain level to get started in infinite banking? Or yeah, yeah. So,
1: hundred percent. Yeah. So it it doesn't. We have clients that are. I have I have two clients that are doing over three million a year into a policy. I have couple clients that are doing 8,000 a year in a policy. It's, it doesn't, there's no rules that the IRS says how much or how little you can put in. There's some stipulations as the ratios, how we have to construct them, which again, we do it the Nelson Nash way. We do it the purest way, but it doesn't matter. All I have to say is compound interest only works over time. You only can earn compound interest over the long stretch. And so whether you start little or start a lot, just start, just start making deposits into this thing. Cause it's going to start, it'll start snowballing. Like I'm sure in Ben your policy. Like now you're like, Hey, this is pretty cool. You have to take a step back in liquidity in the first year because of the IRS. But man, other than that, it's, it's, you know, there's nobody telling you what to do with the money. Again, it's completely private and no attorney can ever get his hands on it. So I, I think that's really one of the, especially if you're in real estate, someone slips and falls or, Someone needs a, a red lobster biscuit that they don't like, they're coming after you, you know. <laughs> red
0: lobster biscuit's gonna get everyone. Um that's crazy. So yeah. I think that's that's super cool. I know you uh you helped me out and my brother with that that call too and him getting set up with that policy. So um, but yeah, if you're putting your money into to anything else, especially if you're doing real estate or businesses, put it into something that's growing and then it has cash value so you can borrow against it. But Um, Nolan can get you set up with that. He's got social media. What is your social media on Instagram and TikTok? I'm I'm the infinite banking investor. So
1: infinite banking underscore investor. Yeah, so I do do it myself. I mean, we got my wife and I, we have four policies. We just put a fifth one on my little 15 month old. We're going to put another one on my little baby when she's born in January. I mean, it's like, we just funnel all our money through this thing. And then when we need it for whatever it is, we just borrow it out. And nobody tells us what to do. Like That type of freedom is like it's arousing. I mean I'm telling yeah. you, somebody that wakes up every day and goes to work and trades their time for money and cannot wait to live for the weekend. I'm not knocking that cuz I was that guy when I was with Striker. But man, I I I cannot say maybe Ben you're the same way but like I wake up every day literally loving the people that I work with and doing the things like this to help people like get out of the matrix like you, you know, get out of that stuff cuz it's like once you get out of it and you see how you can earn passive income and creative real estate and not do it the way that they talk about on CNBC and turn that television off. Cause it's just going to put you in a bad mood. Like this is, there's great people out there in the world that want to be come financially free. And this is a fast yeah. way to do it like mathematically. So the I fastest can do,
0: way yeah. is just yeah. listen to this podcast and your stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you basically have five, you know, policies that's your own bank. You can do anything with that. So you got infinite banking investor on TikTok and Instagram, right? Yep. Um, and then you got your podcasts with, with infinite,
1: infinite banking radio, the podcast, and then our our uh, private mentorship called the CRE collective. So okay. we just we we group together, we teach people how to underwrite real estate deals for industrial triple net
0: lease real estate and couple together with with capital to To do deals there you go well we'll plug all those in uh whatever we got this posted and um put a a link in there too if they want to you know hear more about getting infinite banking concepts set up the whole life insurance policy but i appreciate it dude i could talk to you forever i'll uh maybe get deeper on the rest of this stuff another time but let's do it yeah well dude thanks for having me, Ben. of course at any time it,
1: it's i'm all about the tide raising all ships man so um anything i can do for you your brother you know your business of course you know that i'll be on the first flight out to to dallas and we'll we'll do maybe yeah, hit up the next Cowboys game or something
0: a what game have the next cowboys and colts game if they ever play
1: yeah i was gonna
0: <laughs> say rangers but we already are world series champs so, world series uh, champs that was
1: fun to watch yeah. that was awesome
0: yeah, but hopefully we'll link up soon. If uh, I'm ever in Alabama, I'll know where to go. Next Alabama football game, bring it on, brother. We'll we'll see oh, shoot. Actually, maybe next year OU is playing Alabama, so they're going to be in the SEC. If you come down, actually, no, I think it's in Norman. I got an Airbnb there if you want to stay somewhere. So. All
1: right, all right, all right. I can. All right, fine, 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 fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. Fine. Force <laughs> me to do it. I'll do
0: it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just got to pay like two thousand bucks a night, but that's it.
1: That's the price of playing poker. It's
0: understood. Yeah. Cool. I like it. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Everyone else, peace out. Find the uh, stuff about Nolan below and, and reach out. Give him a follow. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for having man. Talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Thank you. See ya.